This is Via VHS. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Via VHS Retro Movie Podcast. Feels good to be recording. I had the worst damn month ever, and I'm not even exaggerating. Uh, at least in terms of my personal life, I had the worst month. So, kind of good to have the escape of getting back into the podcasting world. And, you know, even kind of going back to the old times where it's just a podcast. I'm not doing any video this week. I don't want to. <laughs> I'm tired. I just want to talk about <laughs> movies and talk about a lot of different movies over the next few months and kind of dial that in. And then, then, then maybe, then maybe we'll get back to uh, the video stuff. But um, there's a lot of content I want to get out. And I just, uh, I'm just um, enjoying caressing your ear holes right now. And uh, I just want to focus there for a little bit. Um, but it's not just me in your ear holes. No, was double penetration. We got. Spencer Scott Holmes here. <laughs> How you doing, man? Oh yeah. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm doing good. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm here to join the movie party train, and we'll have a good old time with classic films. And you know, and I'll say this: I'm kind of a podcast purist. I sort of prefer. I, I'm not opposed to video, but I feel like when the word podcast is spoken, it's supposed to be a spoken medium. It's supposed to be audio. It's it is like you know. The, the newer version of a radio show and things like that. So I feel in podcast's natural form is when it's in audio only. Oh, yeah. Not saying that there's anything wrong with video, but you know what I mean? At the end of the day, that that's what I think of a traditional podcast in a sense. Oh, the traditional podcast. The traditional podcast. Well, I've always <laughs> – here's the thing. I agree with you, actually. I've always viewed via VHS inevitably as more, like not just mm-hmm. – a podcast. I've wanted to be the be a written medium, a podcast medium, a, a visual medium, a multimedia experience, a multimedia experience with different things for each one. You know, uh-huh. um, so having the podcast in that form kind of makes sense. But maybe we'll just save the video for video things, and we'll see where this goes. I don't know. I do there. Are, I do like editing the videos more than the podcast because ADD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love how you edit you for, you for some reason edit the 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 video and the audio in like a separate form. Well, see that's that I have to because if the Skype audio and we're getting technical for a minute, we got a movie to talk about. I'm sorry, but just bear with me for a minute. <laughs> well, our movie's very technical. So. It, it is actually, so this kind of works <laughs> out. Um, the the Skype audio, the video audio does not sound good enough for a podcast, in my opinion. It just doesn't. Oh, I agree there, too. It's it's definitely, you know, you got to sort of layer that in a little bit different and so on. Yeah. So, no, no. I, th- I think having our personal recorders and so on, we're getting all fancy there. But I think that definitely is the case. But it's that weird thing that when the video is playing, you can almost take a little bit lesser audio quality. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I don't mind how the audio is on the videos i think it's perfect for video i think it's quality enough it sounds better than most videos in my opinion but it it that audio for a podcast doesn't work well and honestly i don't like where i've been audio wise for the podcast i used to focus more on it and i think because i've been having multiple things to do I haven't really fine-tuned it like I like. So if you're listening to this, you're like, hey, well, you're kind of being hypocritical because this doesn't sound that great right now. Well, it's going to sound better because I'm going to work on it. I'm going to dial it in, and I'm going to get back to my old ways of making this like a sexy-ass, just ear-massaging, double-penetration fun time um, where we go back in time and look at old movies. So let's go ahead and uh, let's talk about a movie. Um, yeah. We um watched a movie. We did a movie. Um <laughs> we went on Amazon Prime, and I'm I just kind of bouncing around. This is a movie that you and I, I think have referenced on the show. It's it's a situation where you're you're browsing through IMDb or Letterboxd or you know just any like a Just Watch or any of these apps like that. And then I think the way it happened for me as I was looking at suggested films, 
Mm-hmm. And I just saw this poster, and it's Tom Selleck, you know, full Magnum PI stash, you know, ready to go. And he's like in this futuristic looking uniform holding this gun. And then there's this girl behind him who has like kind of like a just a slight Linda Blair vibe, but not really her. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is this? And so then you like, it's called Runaway. Like, what is this movie? Like, what is this thing? And then you're like, okay, it's got Tom Selleck. I got to know about this. And you go to IMDb and you look it up and it gets even fucking crazier. The, the credits is really what sells this movie. I mean, like you look at the credits and you're like, "Oh my yeah. gosh, what are we getting into?" Yeah, exactly. You 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 look at it. So just to kind of set it up, you're like, you know, what's happening here? What's going on? You see this crazy poster. You're like, I gotta know more. If you like '80s movies, you're like, this is this could be, you know, something special. And then it gets even better because Gene Simmons is in it. That Gene Simmons, mm-hmm. Kiss Gene Simmons, yeah. Uh, is in it. And we'll talk about his performance in this. And and he's the villain yeah, he's too. The villain. I mean, I, I guess you'd What else would he be? You know, he Yeah, what else would he be? But still yeah. like you hear that you're like, "Geez, Gene Simmons is the villain in here and so on." So like, you know. Yeah, so you got Magnum PI, you got Gene Simmons. Like, what the fuck is going on here? Is it can it get any better? Yes, it can. Because then you're like, well, "Who directed this craziness? This just madness." <laughs> and it's Michael Crichton. Yeah, he wrote and directed wrote it. And so directed you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Maximum Overdrive, where like um, Stephen King got to write and direct that one. There must have been this time period in the eighties where they're like, hey, you know what? People that write novels, let's just give them the full reign of a movie. <laughs> well, in Michael Crichton's defense, uh, and not even defense, because I actually have some positive, a lot of positive things to say about this. I haven't seen his earlier movies. I know of Westworld because mm-hmm. of the show that you know is out now. Which the yeah. first season of is amazing. After the second season, I kind of quit caring. But um, this isn't his first, you know, work no. as a director. He had some stuff uh, before it, and everything seems to be pretty well received for the most part. I mean, he's he's not Stephen King where he just says he gets these delusions of grandeur and slash cocaine and says I want to make a fucking truck movie and goes out and does whatever he did. I mean, he he Michael Crichton is incredibly I mean, I, intelligent. I, I, I do I do love me some Max Miller. Oh yeah, I mean. <laughs> that, that is definitely it sounds weird i'll only say this that's probably my favorite stephen king story <laughs> i'm gonna go with the shawshank redemption uh but yeah but that doesn't have you know trucks you know that are driving by themselves killing people in it it's just maybe the best movie ever made or just throwing it out there maybe <laughs> i mean don't be wrong it, it, it is very good i'm, I'm not denying yeah. that but once again it doesn't have trucks being controlled by aliens from outer space killing people that's fair it doesn't. It, it doesn't have a, a vending machine shooting sodas out and murdering a guy. You know what I mean? Like, what other movie are you going to get that in? I mean, I, I don't have I don't have an argument for this. You know, some <laughs> movies have things, and just because they have things, I don't know if that means they're good, but th- it, Maximum Overdrive is very, very fun. My, yeah, Michael Crichton exactly. is... This isn't a delusion of grandeur. Like, this... Michael Crichton is very intelligent like he, he's also a doctor um yeah. you know he's just a, he, he could write a book he can direct a movie he can produce movies dude could, could could have done anything like he did a lot of things in his life so um yeah so you, i mean tom Selleck, gene simmons michael crichton uh what's the you, young lady's name you get cynthia rose yes in there and you get Kirstie Alley. Oh, as well, thank too. you. That's what I was the next one I got. So you got Magnum PI, you got Cheers, you got all these things. Very eighties. So we'll we'll tell you what we think about the film Runaway. Um, but first, let's um, fire up the flux capacitor and travel back a little bit to December fourteenth, nineteen eighty four. Two weeks before I was born. Um, let's see. I always have to throw it out there. If it's close to my birthday, I got to throw it out there. Hey, you get. You got it. I, I have yeah. to. 1984 also, we've said before a billion times, phenomenal year for yeah. movies. Now, December had, quote, unquote, cooled down a little bit, <laughs> um, but literally, um, with the exception of one movie in particular. But um, So you're going to the movies to see Runaway opening week. You're one of the only fucking people in the world to do it because it opens eighth. Um, it opens eighth, even with Magnum PI, even with Gene Simmons, uh, this movie opens eighth and it's, so the movie's opening along with it. Um, Mm -hmm. none of them were first at the box office that week, 
Dune. The oh the Dune, yeah. David Lynch uh, Dune opened second. Uh, that opened with it, and then way down at fifth is another opening movie this week, The Cotton Club, a notorious failure. Um, <laughs> and then uh, John Carpenter Starman is opening at six. Oh, Starman! Yeah, because that, that's like that's like the movie that uh, John Carpenter does. It's like way different than a lot of the other ones. Yes, got, you know. Yes, and um, I, I want to review that one soon, actually, because it's a it's a good one. Mm-hmm. It really, what it reminds me of is the Guardians of the Galaxy two. I felt kind of ape that Starman sort of st- story a Ooh. bit. In there, okay, because Kurt Russell's character kind of reminds me a lot like um, Jeff Bridges' character in Starman. I mean, he's like the evil That's version good... of it, but like I remember when I when I was watching Guardians of the Galaxy two, I was like, oh shit, that this is kind of like Starman. Mm, that was intentional. Now that you say that they definitely, but I mean, of course, that's a Marvel character too. So still, um, so yeah, so the full list this week, number one at the box office is a juggernaut. An absolute juggernaut. It had opened, I think, two weeks before. I want to say it opened on December 1st. I'm not sure, but it was at least two weeks old. And you have uh-huh. Beverly Hills Cop. Um, oh, dude, what am I... What, easily probably one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. Beverly Hills Cop like, so fun. When, when, when I was a kid, that's like one of the few like actual VHSs that I had. And it was like the 84 cop, or 85 probably by the time it came out VHS, where it was like, remember when VHSs used to have some weight to them? Yeah. That's what I always think about that one. That one was like that thing. So it was, it was like, oh my gosh, this this is important. And you know, it's probably one of those ones that would have cost you know quite a bit then. But Beverly's Hills Cop. I mean, I, that's one of those movies I can throw on at any moment. Always amazing. It's like that go to. Like, hey, you need to feel better. Pops in Beverly Hills Cop. You gotta do it. Um, you gotta Beverly. Yeah, that was a juggernaut. And listen, Tom Selleck was big in 1984. Don't get me wrong, but he's not Eddie Murphy big. Yeah. Eddie no. Murphy was no. on top of the damn world in 1984. So, you know, good luck. So, yeah, number one is Beverly Hills Cop. Two is Dune. Uh, three, we have mm-hmm. a movie called City Heat. Uh, and you got Burt Reynolds. And- is that That's the one Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood? Yeah. yeah. That, one's a, that, that one's an interesting one right there. I, I've I have never that seen one it. on DVD. It was one of those ones that looked like... That should be pure amazing. It's good, but like I was really good. I didn't know what I was getting into, but it was still kind of fun. Yes. Um, I agree. Uh, 2010, the year we make contact, I guess is the the sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey. And Oh, God, I, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. That came up on something else I was looking at, mm. too. Uh, number seven. Oh, so, so number five is The Cotton Club. Number six is Starman. Number seven, still in the box office, is The Terminator. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the Terminator is almost Runaway's kind of competitor movie if you kind of think about it. If yes, you know, the sci-fi sort of horror group because that's sort of what Runaway is. It's it well, it's weird because Runaway is really it's sci-fi horror, but really at the end of the day, it's actually like the most grounded in reality like cop movie. But we'll get more on that in a mm-hmm. second. And and Terminator had been out for a minute at this point in time. It, it yeah. opened um, October twenty sixth. The twenty eighth was the opening weekend, so it had been out for two months almost. Um, at this point, see, and Term- Terminator opened up at the perfect time period, October twenty sixth. That makes it like the perfect Halloween movie to kind of go yeah. to. I mean, really, at the end of the day, that movie's a full on horror. Oh, movie. absolutely. It's, that's it, it's a horror movie first, you know, sci fi movie almost second in that one. But like, that's like a perfect time for that to come out. Um, yeah, and so there you go. And then Runaway opens eighth place, grossing one million dollars. Um, just behind the Terminator. Now I can't remember exactly what it ended up grossing. Um, Six million dollars yeah. worldwide. Yeah, almost almost seven. So it just about broke even. It looks like, but bro- breaking even is not what anybody wants for producer wise. No, no. <laughs> like breaking evens, but might as well not even have made it in the first place. No, it's that that's that weird thing though, because I always think about like those time periods. Of, like you know, you almost didn't have those like you know giant massive movie theaters that had like the you know even more than five. You you were kind of lucky to have a five cinema back in those days, you mm-hmm. know, and that would have been like a humongous theater at that point. So I always think about if you have the like in a sense these like eight movies or something like that, you know, you, you can only fit so many in there. So I feel like a movie like Runaway, you can tell if it's not going to perform as well, it might not even make it into a lot of like smaller theaters yeah. and so on. Because it's like, hey, we only got so many screens, we're not showing that one. We're going to show the Terminator, you know. We're going to show Dune. We're going to show Beverly Hills Cop. You know, we're done. Yeah, I mean, it, it was such a massive movie year anyway. 
and the Ghostbusters, I think it was released in the summer, so hanging on the 13th. Only five yeah. spots below Runaway, which just opened. I mean, it's just not a good year uh, to open, you know, with a movie like this. I mean, it's just, even with the recognizable names, I'm not saying it's a great cast. I'm saying the recognizable names. Um, yeah. Box office names, I think, to an extent. Yeah. Um, let's look at the music real quick. We're not going to spend too much time on it, but I like to kind of reminisce and go back to what people are listening to when they're driving to the theater to see this Tom Selleck movie. If you were one of the probably 10 people alive who did that opening weekend, um, number one on the billboard charts, December 14th, 1984 out of touch. Hollow notes. Ooh, that's a good, that's, that's a good Hall of notes. Yes. One. I think that's good. my favorite. No second favorite Hall of notes song. No, that one's a good. I I try, I try to fit that one into people's weddings playlist <laughs> somehow, <laughs> some way. That's like one of the. There's certain songs I'm like, I just like this song. I'm gonna find a way to fit it in there. Like you know, what I mean, it's just gonna pop in there. But it's got a great intro. That, that, dude, it's got an amazing intro. That's a great song. And then that's always a nostalgic song for another reason for me too, is because that's in Vice City, Grand Theft Auto. So, um, so number two, we got the Wild Boys by Duran Duran. Number three, uh-huh. Like a Virgin. Madonna. Oh, yeah. yeah. Getting Madonna in there. Uh, you know what? Number four is I feel for you. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. Um, <laughs> always do it like that. Yeah. And then Sea of Love by the Honey Drippers. That, that, that's the only one on there I don't recognize. Yeah, so I, I probably would have heard it. That, um, oh, gosh. What's... So it's Seeds of Love. That's what I was thinking of for a second. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. That's, what, that's where my mind went. I'm like, that's not a, that's not a Honey Dripper song. Um, but who am I to argue with Billboard? I'm um, just scrolling down here a little bit. Some things you'll see. Wake me up before you go go. Got some oh, yeah, that's a big one right there. I mean, people are like, he's gay. <laughs> yeah, that time period be like, it's like, well, I thought he just like shaking his ass in front of the camera. <laughs> no, that's literally, and I don't mean this in a negative way. <laughs> that, that's what I picture. That, that whenever I think of that music video, I just think of him just like you know, just like in his jeans, just like dancing. Oh no, you're around. thinking of you're thinking of faith. Gotta have faith. Wake me up before oh, you go. Oh, never mind. That's, yeah. That's right. That's right. Never mind. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, Wake me up for you. Go goes when he's with Wham, and it's that other guy who I can never remember. And then he's got those short. I mean, I think they're like yellow shorts. Oh, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Like yeah, now, now I remember it. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I don't mean this in a derogatory way. It's literally, and I think every gay person will agree with me. It's literally the gayest moment in in <laughs> pop culture history. I think it's. <laughs> Like it's just it's pretty gay, I mean, and it, 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 it's not even a bad thing. No, you know? I definitely just, don't mean just, it in a derogatory way. It's 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 like it's like the it's just you know it's like the eighties, you know. Yeah, I forgot he passed away already too, George Michael. Oh, that's because he died in that like totally... that end of whatever year that was. That, like two thousand eighteen was it when the, like he like... he died about the same time uh, Carrie Fisher did. It was like in that week. Yeah, because it was just that year that like every like other week there was just another major celebrity that kind of went yeah, away. Yeah, like that especially. And then right at the end of the year, you're like, oh, kind of calm down a little bit. And then everybody died. He was caught yeah. in. He was caught in that. Twenty nine. You mm-hmm. got the Boys of Summer by Don Henley, which is going to only peak at twenty nine. Yeah, that, that's a great song too. You get kind of like the I always call it all the Eagles spinoff tunes. Yes. Because it's like later in light, you go to like an Eagles concert, they play all those. Songs. Oh yeah, um, you got Philip Bailey with Phil Collins. Oh, Easy Lover. Mm-hmm. She's an e- that song is that song slaps as the youngins say. See, well, that's the one thing. It's like the the eighties is the one of those time periods where it's like it doesn't matter. Like every genre has good tunes in the eighties, just about. Yeah, the heat is on. That, that's the Glenn th- Fry is at sixty four. from the well, you know, makes the, because Beverly Hills yeah. Cop. With, yeah, that whole soundtrack's amazing too. Yes, it is good. I have it on L- LP somewhere, but it is good. Glenn Fry, like so, you have Don Henley and Glenn Fry at the charts at the same time. Yeah, but not with the exactly, Eagles because it's like it's kind of like that. Because yeah, it's that period where they all kind of went off and did sort of their separate tunes for a while. Yeah, I'm in terms of solo endeavors. I'm more for Don Henley. I like his stuff just a little bit more as a solo artist. Boys of Summer is good. Dirty Laundry is another song that slaps. Well, that that's this sounds so weird. One of the original CDs I had as a kid was that Don Henley's Dirty Laundry CD. Mm. 
So like, it just sounds like such, that seems like such a weird like. Even as they like picture like just being like five years old or six years old or whatever, and it's like you got like a Don Henley. <laughs> just even the name Don Henley does not sound like something that like a six year old is going to be like. No, it's like Kenny. Up. It's like uh, Kenny Loggins or something like that. You know, it's cooler <laughs> yeah. than it is, but it doesn't sound like no Kenny Loggins sounds like sound like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there, there, there's so many other CDs you could have, and that's what you sort of have. But like, I, I love that album a lot. You know? Yeah, Don Henley. It's kind of like, yeah, no, it doesn't sound like cool. All the solo stuff, like all Joe Walsh's stuff. Oh. I don't know it's like turned, but all his solo stuff's always super oh, fun. I fucking love, love Joe Walsh. Anyway, Runaway, 1984. I'm going to tell you, I didn't get a chance to read the trivia for this, so you can break in. With any stuff, did you read any of it? You know, I only kind of read through the Wikipedia section of everything and just kind of went through I'll, I'll, that interesting fact of I'll it. I'll pull it up as just kind of like a guidepost as we're going along um, uh, reviewing this because this is a film I'm I'm kind of curious to know more about and how it mm-hmm. was made because let's just start here. I thought it was a very good, competent film. Mm-hmm. Was it mind blowing? But a lot of times, you and I try to find the positives in films. Like with like a great example is Beastmaster. We had fun reviewing yeah. it and making fun of it, but we look for the positives in it. This one, yeah, you know, we're doing the same thing. But there's, it's actually a good film. I think it's it's not great. Mm-hmm. It was kind of cliche at times and kind of run of the mill, and you know, I don't want to say predictable, but just it was lacking like a spark or like some sh- surprising moment. Um, yeah. But it was competent and solid and well-made all the way through. Yeah, well, it is definitely a solid one. It has a little bit of a feeling like it's kind of a B picture, not like in a yeah. total bad way, but it feels like it was kind of like whatever studio was doing it. It's TriStar, but like it kind of felt like it's one of those ones where it was kind of like a little bit on the lower end of like their concern and care, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying it's kind of a bad one, but this is the thing that's kind of weird about because it it's like, it you know you look at the movie poster and you kind of look at kind of like the you kind of read the description and everything like that. it sounds like it's gonna be like a heavy sci-fi movie mm-hmm. but then when you kind of get into it it's actually like for 1984 it's a very like grounded yes. in reality just like partially like almost like kind of like what you're thinking the future would be like in just a handful of years from now like but everything else is really kind of realistic the only thing it is is that everybody sort of has these robots in their house like they're, they're living george jetson style but it's not that futuristic yet it's just more like there's just these robots that kind of help out with stuff, which actually, when you kind of watch it nowadays, it really doesn't look that far off from sort of like some people's houses now. I mean, like, you practically got like a Roomba kind of going around vacuuming and so on like that. You got Siri to talk to and whatnot. That's sort of what Tom Selleck is. He's got like his robot like wife in a sense. <laughs> He kind of like because his other wife passed away, so now he's got like this robot wife that he yeah. I love how he has to check in with the robot too. Yeah, it's, it's the, the robot wants to make sure that he's coming home for dinner and so on like that. It was pulled off way better than the robot in Rocky Four. <laughs> it was way better than that. That's <laughs> the lone wants to cut out of his director's cut version. Yeah. Um, it says real quick, the first thing on trivia says this film accurately predicts domestic robots, video mail, social media, the internet, voice activated computers, biometric security, retinal identification, camera drones, tablet PCs, which is something I was like, the kids like watching an iPad. Um, yeah. Well, even the drones too, because drones. when they use that, I mean, it gets a little bit far in the movie. Like, I remember, like, there, there's a big scene of them flying drones around in there, and so on. And it's like now you think of it, like people have been doing that, like in every movie in the last like ten years almost. But like, dude, you didn't see that at all, like in any other movie from like the '80s to the '90s to like the early 2000s. No, and they operate like drones, and it's yeah, it's not like some far flung thing that's ah, that's kind of droneish, but it's running off some weird crazy. No, it looks. I mean, it's got a propeller, and it it's just kind of cent- like centered in the middle instead of kind of. On the wings, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's got just one big propeller instead, yeah. and so on like Yeah, that. it kind of but, flies um, funky. It kind of almost hovers, but it, it it's definitely... Yeah. It feels like he, Michael Crichton, and it seems like something he mm-hmm. would do, had his finger on the pulse of what's going on with popular mechanics and what kind of technology is being developed for the future and like far-flung ideas that he's excited about and he wanted to fit into this movie. And because it's grounded in things that their people are actually working on or predicting for the future it comes comes across as pretty good the only problem is it just feels like the 80s still it doesn't feel like it's in the future it's, it's kind of weird 
Oh well, yeah, because I mean, it literally feels, and I I feel like he almost looked at it like this was supposed to be like 1985 or 86, like it wasn't supposed to be that much farther. But you know, no, knowing Michael Crichton though, he, like that's what always makes Michael Crichton kind of a when it comes to movies or his books and so on like that is that he always you could tell that he's the dude who puts in a lot of research. And it's like you know, you you just you learn a bunch of stuff, and like generally he's not just making stuff up. He kind of takes stuff straight up from science and facts and what's coming and so i might might just turn it up to 11 but not not by much you know and i think that's what this movie kind of is you know that he's just looking at all this cool technology and just kind of incorporating it in here and being like hey we're not that far off from sort of having this robot and realistically we're not that far off i mean like i think about like there's that scene where like um they go to the sushi robot and whatnot and the sushi robot just kind of like you order it and it makes you know, the sushi comes right out. I'm like, well, dude, that's just like those Japanese style restaurants that you see, or I've seen a few of them in like the Bay area where you go in and it's, you know, you order on like an iPad and whatnot. And these robots in the back pretty much make it for you, pops it on out. I mean, it really is no different than that. It's just, that was just the eighties version of it. Well, when you look at, you know, Jurassic park, um, which is you know, obviously Crichton wrote that the novel and then turned into the movie, um, which I think he wrote in with the, intention of it being a cinematic property from the beginning, even though it was yeah. a book. Um, I don't want to make piss off the guy who's Ross from friends. We like, Oh, Jurassic park can't be real. Cause I know that, but it was grounded in a very, it seems like it could be real because it was grounded mm-hmm. in like things that it was based off real science, even though it's not possible. It was based off ideas that they had from real science and you yeah. can tell Michael Crichton really gets into that kind of stuff and tries to build a movie around it. Um, mm-hmm. And this one, actually, I think could have used a little bit more of that. Like, cause sometimes it kind of like, Oh cool. He's going to chase robots. And then it became like, no, we're chasing Gene Simmons. And I'm like, yeah, but the robots thing, like go back to that a little bit more. Um, uh-huh. And that world a little yeah. bit more, but it, it was still kind of close. Yeah, I definitely kind of agree there, too, is I think that this one – because, like, the whole thing is, is like, what the runaway is, it's just – it's this sector of the police department that they got going on that – and Tom Selleck's kind of the main guy in charge. And what they have to do is since people kind of have robots, they got them at the farms, they got them in their house, they got them so on, every once in a while a robot kind of goes haywire – and what he has to do is go out and pretty much stop this robot, fix it. Put it down, even. Yeah, he's animal <laughs> control for robots. Yeah, he's really animal. Yeah, that, that's like the best way to sort of say it. Because it's weird because like, it doesn't feel like he's a guy that like, you know, you almost think like, oh, the guy who's in charge of taking care of robots or something, he's going to be kind of like the scientist, maybe kind of nerdy type. No, it's it's like literally we got Magnum P.I. He's going to go out there and like tackle this robot down. And <laughs> It seems pretty lame at the beginning, too. Like, I mean, intentionally lame. Like, they're, you know. Trying to downplay it because when the film opens, I'll say this. Okay, like I knew a little bit of what it was about. Like, okay, he's after it's called Runaway, and he's after robots. And then the movie starts, and you got this kind of like wannabe Vangelis score from Blade Runner going on. It's not that, but it has uh-huh. that kind of feel. Then it opens with a shot of somebody's eyes, and it's cutting back and forth between these like cyber looking stuff. And I'm like, oh, this movie wants to be Blade Runner. And I, that's kind of where I thought it was going to go. Oh, it's going to be really kind of like a, uh, you know, really kind of intellectual sci-fi property. And not to say it's stupid because it's not. It's actually really smart in a lot of ways. But it's it's not that. It's it's yeah. not as cool. Runaway. The people who chase these things are not as cool as a Blade Runner. They're not Rick Decker. Like they're literally animal control. Yeah. I mean, it starts off the very first one they have to go after, and he's like, he's got his new partner. He's got Cynthia Rhodes with her, and she kind of gets transferred there. And the rest of the department's kind of like, ah, oh, whatever. It's the low end of the police department. You know, they're not they're not fighting real crimes. They're just taking down robots. But like, they even kind of make it out where like they they go to this farm, and there's just this robot that's supposed to be like you know harvesting the corn or whatnot. It's gone haywire, so it's just driving all over, just plowing down things and so on. And there's just a kind of the, all these good old boys just kind of look like. Well, you go out there and take care of that robot. It's like, oh, that's what my job is. Yeah, it might find me. And they're like walking through the cornfield and whatnot. All the way to the point where like they finally get the robot. And the robot, there's like an explosion, almost like it's a Looney Tunes thing, like off in the distance. <laughs> they come dragging this robot back. That's all that coming. Just... That's what one of them says. Yeah. 
It's so, and I think the whole point of that is supposed to be is everybody kind of looks at it like, oh, what a goofy job these guys sort of got robots. Yeah, it's like, dude, you're the guy that bought the robots, using the robot, and now you're calling us. Like, what are you putting us down for? Well, it becomes also in some ways quite like the quintessential, um, like stereotypical '80s cop movie because it's like, mm-hmm. well, some of them it's like, oh, they're demoted to this lower. Bracket, like Action Jackson, where he got in trouble, and so he's doing something like beneath him. Um, yeah. Even though he's like a Harvard-educated Harvard super athlete, he's like doing like he's basically giving out parking tickets or some shit. And then so, but there's that there's that idea, and then there's this one idea like, why aren't you on the streets? You're obviously cool. You could obviously do this, but why are you working this thing? And then there's like something like, oh, I shot a kid in the in the forehead or something. No, it's just this one. It's because he's scared of heights. Is one of the reasons. He's got vertigo. Yeah, he's got vertigo, which kind of reminded me of Dewey Cox. Like, I can't smile. <laughs> like, it's just such a dumb. It was like this is, and I'm like, well, how often does this come up? But Michael Crichton finds a way to bring up heights as much as he can in oh, this yeah. movie to drive it home. Like, this is a real problem. Okay, can't be a yeah. In the that's what sort of by me. Like, yeah. It made me kind of wonder, maybe Michael Crichton has a problem with heights because, like, he really is putting it in there like, hey, this is a serious issue. Like, I almost thought, like, a PSA message was going to come out at the very end. Like, you know, if, yeah, if you need help with Vertigo, please call this number. <laughs> yeah, it was. it's kind of a whole ridiculous thing. I'm like, could they have not flushed that out a little bit more? Like, somebody had read this script, I'm assuming, at some point in time. Maybe not. Maybe they were just like, oh, fuck it. It's Tom Selleck. We got a mustache. We got this. Who's this girl? She's blonde. That's great. Gene Simmons? You got Gene fucking... Yes, yeah. do it. But don't you want to know about it? No. I, don't, I actually don't want well, to know plus, more about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think also when Michael Crichton's been writing books already by this point for like almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, those ones are like... Eh, are you going to argue with the guy who like sells bestsellers like you know every six months? Yeah. Like, no, no, we're not good. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just a kind of a weird. I mean, he he executes 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 it, dear lord, well within the film. This whole Vertigo thing, and you know, he fits it into the story pretty cleverly. But it's just it's still like this is the route you went. Like I don't know, and there is something that happened. It, wasn't there some event? Yeah, there was, a, there was a, something where he needed to stop this, you know, a, a runaway criminal in a sense. And because he got the vertigo kind of going up in the heights, oh, the guy got away. Was... And then it was like, and then like six weeks later, he killed a family. He's like, I take responsibility because I couldn't capture him that one time. So I demoted myself. Yeah. To the robotics department. <laughs> and I was like, what? Yeah, to the robot. Yeah, it just seems so weird. Like a beat cop now is working in the robotics car like department. Like that's what I always just think is kind of weird. Even a detective, it just, that seems like such a weird career career shift, but like I, obviously in the eighties, you could just kind of, you know, pivot yourself into robotics. Yeah. After being a police well, he officer. He took some night courses, Spencer. He, t- he says, he's oh, like, yeah, true. I took some school, uh, some courses. Yeah. I kind of fell in this job by accident. And then I kind of got interested in it, took some courses and now i got a robot wife at home and, you know, and she's a bitch <laughs> and I hate her, but you know, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. Tom Selleck's character. None of the characters have a whole lot of depth uh-huh. in the movie. You kind of just meet them where they are at their point in life, and they have a backstory. But there's not. I don't know. Tom Selleck's pretty much scared of heights, and other than that, he's Magnum PI that chases robots. Like <laughs> yeah. it's not very complex. Well, there's the scene that this scene probably I think was one of the most interesting scenes in the movie is that like, okay, so generally they're just chasing runaway farm tractors and, you know, nothing too exciting. But there's this one where it's like, oh, like a code comes up and whatnot. And they're like, oh, that means that a robot's killed somebody and so on. This is their first like murder investigation Mm -hmm. one. And there's this scene where they go to like, you know, a suburbia house and there's a robot that's in there and it's killed like already a couple family members and somehow the the, the dad got out. (laughs) This just sounds like one of those ones like, yeah, the robot did it. They shot my wife. Uh, Sir, the robot shot your wife. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like who's going to, you know, judge this guy, I guess, but whatever. He gets out somehow and then like the baby's in there still. And he's like, Tom Soak's like, 
you know, they send the drone in first, and that's kind of cool. It goes in there and whatnot, and you get these cool drone shots, like proto-drone ones. But then it's like, Tom Sawyer's like, it's not good enough. You know what I mean? It's not safe in there. I got to go in there. Make sure you get this camera crew out of there, because these camera crew keeps busting in and whatnot. So Tom Sawyer's like, I'm taking the charge. And they're like, you can't do that. There's, there's a dangerous robot in there. He has a knife. It's like, why? The robot's got a knife. <laughs> <laughs> that scene is great, and it lasts for a long time. That scene is really yeah, cool. They... And I just love because he... He, they bust in there and whatnot. And I love how there's the cameraman. He's like, dude, get out of here. Get out of here. The guy's like, oh, the, the lady sent me in here. And the second that cameraman comes in, the ro- robot comes out with a gun and blasts him a couple times. I laugh so hard. They're like, dude, that stupid camera. I mean, I felt kind of bad for that guy because he probably get- – it wasn't his choice. It was probably that stupid, pushy reporter. You know, the thing – and it, what's hilarious is – and this must have been a theme in the 80s because I guess news is becoming big and cable television is starting to come out. So 24-hour news and – you know, but I was actually, we just talked about Dirty Laundry. I was actually thinking about that song during that scene about how, like, they're, if you never heard that song, it's just about reporters and how they could tell you about a plane crash with a gleam in their eye. And it's just how they're like, like, uh, it's interesting when people die is a line from that song. And so that was like, yep. there's like a baby trapped in here. There's all this danger. And they're like, you better go in there and you better get this footage, even though that we're completely detrimental to this operation in every way. Like the robots here in our transmissions, we're in the way literally. We're coughing when we're supposed to be quiet. No, you better go in there and get that shot. So, and that happens a couple times well, like- in the movie, actually. Yeah, as I say, because I think it's in one of the other scenes, but there's a part where like the the reporter's like, "Well, if she dies, I want to get that on footage." Yes, you know, they, they literally say that like in there and so on. So that poor cameraman who once again, I felt like that guy probably was peer pressured into going there because it's his job and so on. He's the lackey to this lady, but whatever, he gets killed. And this is the cool part. Tom Selleck's in there, and he's he's like going back and forth, sneaking around this robot. And this is the thing I thought was the most interesting is the robot has like. A revolver <laughs> for some reason and tom Selleck's got a laser gun <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean like like when i just saw about my head i'm like you feel like that would be the other way around that he would have the revolver and the robot would have a laser gun but no the robot has just this like 38 special it reminded me blasting. of a uh, chopping mall yeah exactly <laughs> that's what it sort of felt like there but just that battle scene of it, like Tom Sawyer's got this laser gun, and he's and this almost makes it sound like it's way more futuristic than it really is. But he's got like a very realistic looking ra- laser gun. It's got like a battery pack and a cord hooked up to it, and like it feels like if, if you had a laser gun, that's how I kind of it feels it like me. a laser light your dog would play with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's really rudimentary. But uh, but at the same time, it like you know. I, I can almost kind of get behind and so on, but he takes down this robot and what, and that's where they learn that like, oh, somebody's put these like specialty chips in there, and it's not just like it was hacked or anything like that. Or I guess they didn't use hack. It's like kind of before that like term would be around. It's just more like, oh, someone just slapped a new chip in here, and now it's going off. And we got to figure out who this chip is. Yeah, that's so. We'll talk about that a little bit. How this movie was kind of pieced together because I feel like that's really what. This is another example of where they could have went through this a little bit and I think restructured it a little and it would have made more sense. Because the way the movie opens is you have – he's introduced to his new partner, stereotypical 80s movie. Hey, you got a new partner, i.e. lethal it's weapon. Buddy yeah, buddy cop thing. Except this time they're you know, trying to boink each other. So uh, he gets this um, female lady cop friend that's going to ride around with him because he's Magnum P.I. It's the 80s and women's just falling in his lap. And they go do the farm thing to kind of set up the job and try to make it seem like it's kind of basic and boring or whatever. And then they go, the next scene is the scene we were talking about in the house, which is really well shot, really well put together. Um, suspenseful. I actually was very impressed by the directing in that. Now the, it was weird and silly at points and times with the robots holding the, you know, the, the Magnum. Yeah, just, the, the robot, like, yeah, just like, like you're like, like, if the robot talked, that would be the only thing that'd probably break it too much. Good down, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it 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 was overall really really good that scene. But then they go, then they're like, oh. Let's just go back to the house. And so he goes back to his house. And we're not going to go through the whole plot. I'm just trying to give you an idea of where I think this could have been structured a little bit better. And then his son, the kid from Fly of the Navigator, is there. And he's like, hey, Dad, I'm going to be – yeah, they go to his house and they kind of, you know, are hanging out. And the kid's like being nosy and like, hey, are you all going to, you know, do it because I need a new mom and all that kind of stuff. There's a box. Yeah, that's my favorite thing. It's like he comes in he's like, is this, our, is this the new mom? He's like, no, son, this is not your new mom like yet. Like we met today, kid. 
<laughs> but you're Tom Selleck. He probably says that to every every girl that comes home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is this new mom yet? Chrissy Alley, if you brought her home first, I fuck off, kid. <laughs> like get out of here. Like blow smoke in his face. Um. Yeah, so there's like that the farm scene, and then they like then the dramatic, intense, suspenseful scene, and then they go home and hang out, and then she leaves and whatever, and kind of sets up maybe some flirtiness. I felt like it should have been a little different. It should have been the farm scene. They talk a little bit, get to know each other, and she's kind of got some questions about them. Then they go to his house after work, and then the next day is the suspenseful scene. The kind of like yeah. it was it was kind of set up kind of odd because the kid sees it on TV. Um, and by the way, I knew that kid was going to be in trouble at some point in the movie. Like he was just bait because like he <laughs> yeah, just leaves him home with a fucking was. robot, like a, a a basic basically a microwave. This kid is watching <laughs> yeah, this kid that, that makes dinner. That makes dinner. Well, I mean, a makes dinner poorly. But, you know, like. Yeah, and and has you know, snarky comments along the way too. Yeah, she's she's talks sass to you. It talks sass to you. It's you know it was kind of predictable where it was going, and the kid's so annoying, and he feels like he's too big to be treated like he Tom Selleck treats him in the movie. Like he kind of treats him like a six year old or seven year old. Yeah, but he's like a twelve year old or something like that. I don't know what he is. Eleven maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. It's I'm, we're nitpicking here. But it's it, there were some things that definitely could have be flushed out a little bit in this movie. But essentially, what it becomes is a chase movie. It's they're after Gene Simmons because Gene Simmons is the source of all these robots getting in there and fucking things up. And it even ties yeah. back to the house that they were just in because the guy was like some type of programmer or whatever. And um, yeah, so Gene Simmons is introduced as the bad guy, and I have to say. I thought he did a pretty damn good job. No, I, I like Gene Simmons in this, too. It's like, I think his, Gene Simmons can just, I mean, like, literally, he plays the demon in Kiss, so I guess, you know, he could play, you know, the villain and other stuff, but just, like, yeah, just him coming in here and just kind of, like, getting to chew some scenery and whatnot, and he plays the super scientist. Like, I feel like you totally can believe all this stuff, you know, just because, you know, Gene Simmons talks so well, just the way his voice kind of is and the presence that he sort of has. Very sinister I think, presence. You know, just, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think he, I think he did a real good job of being the villain, you know, in this and just kind of, but it does, this is the part where like by after about that kind of robot murder scene, once Gene Simmons is kind of introduced, it's almost like there's, there's robots still, and there's still like some future technology and stuff that is kind of neat, but yeah, it does become the chase movie at that, which I felt like there almost could have been room. I think this movie should have had more robots and it should have been, that's almost what the chase should have been is like going after more robots instead of just a standard, you know, chase after this guy, and then there there is a few robots here and there. Well, he needed a grand plan, and the robots mm-hmm. need to tie into it because where it stands is he's just going to sell these chips and make some money, and that was it. Yeah. And so there's no complexity to he's just the kind of a mustache twirling. I want to make some money villain, where you could have tied that into the robots and made it more complex and have like some different motives that were much more sinister, like taking something over or maybe a terrorist attack. Cause it's the eighties and they like to make movies about that because it's never going to happen in real life. Right. Right. Yeah. And so there, or like, you know, even hacking through, like even it could have got more sophisticated because it's weird. Cause it's like, we have all this technology, but still kind of in that proto before hacking is really like a term to like the regular person's mindset. Mm-hmm. But it could have been almost like he was going to use some of this technology to sort of break in, you know, and manipulate stocks or something. Something like it could have just been something like that. It could have seemed like sort of like a like a, a lighter Lex Luthor type story. Why manipulate stocks and use this um, information to do something complex and really, really benefit your life when you could make fucking robot spiders? <laughs> yeah, the, the shootout acid. The shootout so acid. On. Yeah, it's very. He was kind of. I, I was. Before I walked in here, I was, my wife was like, what did you watch? I said, Runaway. And she goes, did you like it? I said, it was actually, even though we're kind of bashing it a little bit, it was actually pretty good. It was yeah. well-paced, well-directed. I was invested in the story. And I said, Gene Simmons is in it. She goes, Gene Simmons? I said, yeah, he's kind of like a Batman villain in it. And it, that really like an older Batman villain. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what it felt like. He was like robot spider guy or something. And he's got these robots that shoot acid or maybe even like a Bond villain. It was kind of... Weird, like they really could have done a whole lot more with that character, and then 
the world to kind of bring you into a yeah. little bit more. I, I think it could have been expanded and so on like that because, yeah, because even from that, it's like, I mean, what, he's got some kind of other interesting technology. He's got like, in a sense, he's got that, he's got the gun that shoots like the smart bullets oh, that follow yeah. around and trace to like where they need to go and so on. Kind of reminds me of almost like, maybe this might have been in Judge Dredd by this point in the comics, I can't really remember, but like, I always think kind of like a, that Miami very Judge Dreddy right there. I mean, even this world almost feels like we're going into a Judge Dredd st- style yeah. universe. Like, it's not that far off from it, you know, but like... It's kind of like, you know, one way I was thinking about, it's not as fully realized as like Robocop or Judge Dredd or Demolition Man, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of the world. It kind of reminds me of the first Mad Max, where yeah. it's like, you, you see by the next few movies where the movie the world went and you could tell it was going there and that one but it was like the it's barely post-apocalyptic so it's still kind of like there's still some normal functions to society where in other areas it's kind of unraveling and kind of weird and kind of like there's a lot of serious issues that we're not ready for this was kind of like that too it's normal functioning life in some sense some sense but then it's also kind of unraveling a little bit so it was kind of it just needed to be a little more fully realized and it would have been a, a little bit better yeah well this reminds me of one of those ones like in kind of re- they're watching this this reminds me of that thing that like if this was probably a michael Crichton book and you had 400 pages to really expand on it i feel like this would be actually a very interesting read oh because yeah because it's it, it, it sounds weird, but it felt, felt like it was one of those ones where, like, my, like maybe Mount Crime was kind of like, hey, okay, I, I do have this idea for a book. And someone's like, hey, you want to make a movie? You, you know, we'll give you another movie deal right mm-hmm. here. And it's just like, yeah, sure, what, I'll just turn this book into a movie. And that's that's sort of how it kind of feels. But it felt like it's almost more complicated than, like, an hour and 40-minute long movie or whatever it kind of ends up being. Yeah. It would have been like it almost need even like two hours. I think might have even been enough to flesh it out a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit more time. I think a bigger budget, different director. I think this movie had more ambition than what shows up on screen. I feel. I feel. I don't know this for sure, but I feel like they made a lot of. Um, they settled for a lot of things when they where they had to. Like, okay, we'll take this out. We'll take this out. We'll do this with the character to make it more palatable, uh, because. It could have been um, more of a Blade Runner type if they wanted it to in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, having some more themes and different things like that where I think they were probably scared of that because Blade Runner didn't make shit when it came out. No, yeah, that movie took a long time for it to kind of come yeah. back. Um, part of that was, you know, that was a big movie year also. Um, I think the thing in Blade Runner opened at the same time and neither one of them made anything because E.T. was out. Um, yeah, and that probably sucked in all like the family. Yeah, like because that time Blade Runner is kind of a it's an R rated movie. It's only gonna you know that's that time period where like certain R rated movies almost weren't working out as much because families were kind of coming back in the fold. Was this R rated? Well, R R. Yeah, this this one is R rated, but it's weird because it doesn't feel like it's R rated. But there's just enough R rated moments. There's some swearing in there. Boobies. A little bit of nudity for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. For no reason. It it just has like it just has like the '80s nudity. Just like all of a sudden, there's just a lady for some reason, you know, in the bathroom changing. Yeah. And then there's that weird perverted scene with Christy Alley that really is. Oh, where they go through like the metal detector in a sense. Yeah. Like. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like well, those ones like hey, you know, you you got all these like. Gene Simmons has pretty much put all these tracking devices on you. Yeah. They're like, no, you got to take your shirt off. And like, she's like, okay. And like, no, you got to take your dress off. And like, it doesn't show her completely new, but it's just like, this was pointless. Well, I mean, not yeah. for the director. Obviously, Michael Crichton had intentions. Yeah. But it within the story, it's like, yeah, it was kind of, it was. I guess the only thing was just to say how much tracker she had on her that she didn't think she had. Yeah. You know, it, it's all like the little things that are kind of like all these little technologies that are kind of like sprinkled throughout this whole movie. That's sort of like, I think, what it's kind of going yeah. with. But really, it was just to make Christy Alley take her clothes off. I mean. <laughs> yeah, just so you could see your shoulders. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it wasn't too much. It was it was a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, Christy Alley's pretty good. And actually, I thought she was pretty damn good in this. Yeah. Yeah, she. I think so, because she kind of plays like, the, I guess, the sort of villainous kind of woman in a sense that needs to sort of be saved, but she's also kind of scheming on her own end too. Yeah. And yeah, she, she sold it really, really well because I didn't, I actually thought she was kind of like a victim for a long time. And then you kind of realize what's going on. 
Um, oh yeah, she just wanted to get get her own sale on the deal and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's um, it was a pretty fun movie. I mean, there's a lot of areas I think it could have benefited from. I th- honestly, it would just been it would have benefited from being made later. I mean, mm-hmm. just a little bit more budget, a little bit more technology to kind of flush it out. I would actually, this is a candidate for a movie I think that could be remade. I think so too, because I think it's, I mean, like, this is almost like, uh, what's that Will Smith movie, uh, The iRobot one? Yes. <laughs> it's kind of like that, because, you know, he's chasing down those robots. I mean, those robots have, like, a lot more personal. They're like, Will, I want to live. And Will's like, No, 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 you're going to die today. <laughs> yeah, it's, and that's a th- another thing in this movie, too, is he, they, they never really solidify. Like sometimes it feels like Tom Selleck hates robots. Yeah, but he's got a, he's like he's got a robot wife. He goes home. Yeah, to, so. and he's really interested in it. So it's like sometimes they try to sell that, and then sometimes they're like, "Oh no, I just hate this particular year of robots." It's like a, I like the Skylarks, oh, they, they, but I don't like well, the eighty seven Skylarks. Where, like, um, yeah, when Cynthia Rhodes gets shot by like the Gene Simmons special bullet, the magic bullet, literally, and um, it's going to explode inside, and he's like. And the guy's like, we're bringing in a, a, a surgeon robot. He's like, no, 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 not that year. That's a terrible year. Yeah. They always fail. Well, it was there was another instance of that. It was like, um, she was like, oh, do you, I'm just making up, you know, something because I can't remember exactly how it went. But it was like, oh, so you have a T10 series? No, I have the T12. Oh, okay. They're much better. Yeah, my mom had a T10 and it kept burning toast and started fires and stuff. Okay. Yeah, that year sucked. The year I've got, that's the year to get. Yeah, get the '89 Skylark, not the '87 Skylark. That's it, yeah. it's kind of silly how they did that, but like that's catch you like oh, so many of those situations. There's always that part where like, hey, let's send the robot in there, and then Tom's like, like, no, 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 I, I got to go in because that's how the house went. Because it starts off, we'll send the robot in there, and then of course the drone screws up and everything else, and then Tom Selleck has to go in. Yeah, and then when they do the surgery, you know, no, no, no don't bring the robot in. I'm gonna do it. And there's even that part too where they're at like the construction yard and like except really, he's like, I'm gonna go in, but it's but there's heights involved. <laughs> Never mind, Cynthia. You should go in. <laughs> oh man, there's a lot more to nitpick with this movie. I realize now that I'm talking about it, there's a lot of silly stuff. But I really do want to drive home. This was a fun watch. This was sometimes yes. we watch stuff that we think is going to be bad, and I think this has like a fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So I wasn't expected much, and I honestly thought it was better than that. Even though some of it's contrived, it's. Um, the performances are good. I think because of the way it's paced and directed, um, mm-hmm. I think it ends up being a very watchable, fun movie. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really fun. I enjoyed it the whole way through. It's just got it's one of those movies like I think if you're into kind of like just like different like technology and sort of just seeing like almost like history of certain things, even though it doesn't go into super details, but just seeing that kind of like in in a sense like a movie in '84 to sort of have these kind of you know robots around, but it seems like it's in a very more modern day setting. It's not super futuristic and so on, and they're all kind of like realistic stuff. And so much of that stuff, it's like you look at it, it's like oh well, we pretty much have like most of these things nowadays. Like you know what I mean? They might not look as exactly the same as that but in, in a sense like so much of this technology in here it's like i feel like this one was one of those ones that really captures what the future is kind of be going to be like pretty darn well oh yeah i agree with that wholeheartedly i think um this one definitely had some um more they always have these high-minded ideas and this one landed on them more than most movies do and he even called it a smart bullet which i thought was really interesting um yeah. the way he was when he was talking about that like kind of heat-seeking bullet I didn't even know they called that type of artificial intelligence technology smart whatever, like smartphones today or whatever, smart watches, smart cars. Uh, Well, I guess it's it's like there's like the smart bomb, and that's where I'm thinking that term was derived from because that's where like you shoot the bomb off and it mm, tracks down to right where it needs to go. That makes sense. So I'm thinking that's where it was kind of come from. But even still, I thought that was kind of a – Oh, okay. That, that's a little bit more kind of like that's like probably like the earliest I've ever heard that term in a movie. Yeah, definitely. I think so too. This movie, uh, I think if there's one thing to watch it for, it would be the prediction of the technology and where they thought certain things were going. I mean, even the little just n- subtle thing where the kid was sneaking and watching his 1984 iPad under the covers when Dad got home, like it was. Yeah, that was pretty accurate. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's the weird thing too because you think about like you know in a sense like. A kid's pretty much not going to have that till, I mean, almost like even until like the 2000s where like you might have a Game Boy SP with a light on it. 
You know what mm-hmm. I mean? We, we would have never been. I mean, I guess if you had a Game Gear that was backlit, that'd be the closest thing you'd have in like the '90s. But everything else, you would still need light for, and so on, like that. So the idea of having that technology right then and there that's backlit and it has all the you know, it's like a TV and all kinds of stuff on there. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, there's just neat little technology the whole way through, and even the idea of like, in a sense, like the robot wife. You know, what I mean, it's like in a sense, that's like. If that's like sort of having like Siri, Siri or Alexa yes. or something like that, you know, or the Google lady or whatever her name is. Google, I guess. Yeah, well, I always joke with like the next function. I, I like how I just said Siri and then it spoke up real quick. Or if, uh, not Siri, but uh, Alexa did. It's kind of weird. but Oh, I know. Mine downstairs will do it. She probably is talking to me right now. What did you say? Um, Dude, the weirdest one was it sounds so weird. I was watching that Borat TV thing and Borat was talking to it and it set mine off. Really? Yeah, I thought that was was like whoa. That's like almost like kind of scared me. I was just like, what the hell is that? Yeah, ours but, uh, will just randomly talk at certain times, like for no reason. We'll be there to have yeah. a conversation, and it'll say what? Do you, like it'll give me directions to like you know Albuquerque or some bullshit. I'm like what? Why? Why? Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Like what? My Looney Tunes sketch? Yeah. What am I Weird Al? Like what do I need this Albuquerque destination for? But I make jokes all the time. It's like, hey, the next functionality of like. Alexa or Siri or one of these things is that they'll be able to make you dinner, and that's essentially what Lois is <laughs> in yep. this film. That, that's what I mean. It's like that's that sort of is like in a sense she takes messages, you know, and she does all like those kind of ta- you know things like that. But then it's like yeah, makes dinner, cleans the house, takes care of the kid, makes him brush his teeth, you know, mm-hmm. and then and then she just literally gets brutally murdered by Gene Simmons in the movie. Oh, I know, man. I actually felt bad for Lois. Has some emotional yeah. attachment. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think go watch Runaway right now. It's on Amazon Prime. I feel like it's been on there for a while. Yeah, because I know, like, we've had this on our like, hey, we should watch this at some point for like almost like a good year. Yeah, I want to say. Yeah, and I started watching it at one point and got really bored with it, and I think I wasn't in the mood. And this time I was not bored. I, I was pretty interested. I think there was a part in the middle. Where I'm like, well, I was a little frustrated because. I knew what direction it was taking, and I didn't want it to go there. I wanted more robot fun stuff, but mm-hmm. it didn't. It still didn't disappoint. Gene Simmons was great. The action was pretty good. Um, yeah, it was a fun, fun little watch. So, um, does it hold up well? Yes and no. It's extremely dated in some ways, and in some ways, it's very forward thinking. It's very interesting. Yeah. I feel like it is one of those movies, you, you don't just bring this movie over to anybody. you got to have someone who, one, is really into film and one who is kind of into, like, sort of history of tech and that kind of era mm-hmm. and so on. It's definitely, it's not a movie for everybody else, definitely say. It's, um, yeah, certainly. This is not a movie that, like, you're going to have a movie party. You don't throw this movie on. You, no. <laughs> you definitely don't throw this one on. There's, you know. There's not a, I thought going into this that it was going to be batshit crazy. Because you got Gene Simmons and Tom Selleck in it, and you're like... It's so absurd the idea of Michael Crichton's doing it. I'm like, this is just, this sounds like a Mad Libs of like pop mm-hmm. culture people. Like, who wrote it? Michael Crichton. Who's starring in it? Tom Selleck and Gene Simmons. Like, it just, it's such a weird group of people, but it, it worked out. It coalesced very, very well. And, um, and Kirstie Alley. So there you go. Go watch Runaway, Amazon Prime. I think it's going to be there for the foreseeable future because it's been there for so long. A lot of interesting stuff coming up next. I'm excited to see some of the movies. We're going to talk a little bit quickly after the podcast about what we're going to be doing here in the next little bit. But it's going to be solely podcast for a while until I figure out how I want to get things going again. So anyway, any any last thoughts on Runaway or anything you want to plug, promote, share before we move on? Uh, I guess I think since our last episode or something, I think my Pizza Boys Season 3 graphic yes. novel – Kind of, I knew. I want to say last time I might have been like real close to it or something like that, but I want to say in this period that's kind of come out. So season three, it's up on Amazon right now. If you like, it's got adventures of laser tag with almost Vietnam War themes to it, sort of an apocalypse now kind of vibes. Issues on skateboarding in the yield days of retro video games and video game addictions, um, to just kind of fun sitcom styled humor, you know. Mm. Grabbing a pizza, Mission Impossible ness kind of, 
you know, field stuff. But, um, yeah, that's a real fun one. You can check out any more of that information on oldmanorange.com. That's where you'll also find the Old Man Orange podcast, as well as all the other kind of shows and old animations and videos and comics and art and what have you I got on there. All the easy spot to find. But, yeah, that's about all I got. Mm, well, via VHS is back again. <laughs> um, I'll say... I am really, really excited to be back. I'm excited to get to a lot of movies. I'm hoping that uh, with just kind of focus on streamlining things, we'll be able to get a lot more content out. It'll be certainly significantly easier for me with everything going on in my life right now to just kind of focus on a podcast for a little bit. So back to old school podcasting. Might have some guests here in the near future. There's some other ideas. And I will say there's some uh, projects with my brother I might be working on. I actually might bring my brother into this world of podcasting here really soon. So I'm excited to share that with you a little bit. Might dive into TV some. So I do have time for some of that stuff as long as I'm focusing on just the podcast. So thanks for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at via VHS on Instagram at via VHS pod. Uh, for the time being, there's still a few uh, YouTube videos up, so you can go over to YouTube and find us there. And stay subscribed if you are subscribed, because there might be some more content coming in the near future, whether it be in podcast format or something else that I've been teasing. Um, just stay on the lookout for that, so that might be coming up soon. But anyway, thank you for listening. And one last thing to all the people who said kind words to me over the past month or so with everything that's been going on nice sincere things messages and different things like that some close friends i've made in podcasting i really appreciate it it was very very sweet very very kind and it did mean a lot to me i I mean that so anyway thanks for listening check us out soon and via vhs is out